Hey, I'm Spencer Powell and welcome to Remodeler Stories, where we highlight remodelers. Every remodeler has a unique story and journey and we can all learn from each other. Stay tuned for a mix of inspiration, tactical tips, unique strategies, and some laughter. The remodeling business is tough, but rewarding, and we're all in this together. Let's kick this thing off. Before we get into today's show, let's talk about our show sponsor, Remodeler Growth Community. Remodeler Growth Community is a peer-to-peer networking group exclusively for remodelers. For a low monthly fee, you get access to some of the best minds in the industry, life-changing business strategies, and the ability to connect and learn from people who've walked the path you walk. Go to remodelercommunity.com to enroll today. 100% satisfaction guaranteed or your money back, so there's absolutely no risk to you. Go to remodelercommunity.com to enroll today. Today, I sit down with Will Giese of Bellwether Design Build. Will founded Bellwether in the early 2000s after owning several other businesses and partnerships. He earned his MBA from Temple University and studied fine art at Lawrence University with concentrations in design and architecture. Will is interested in engineering, energy efficiency, historical preservation, as well as modern, timeless design. His knowledge and team participation in projects involving structural, mechanical, and material applications ensures that all aspects of the project are considered during the sales and design planning phases. He is the president of the Philadelphia area chapter for the National Association for the Remodeling Industry and holds multiple certifications. In his free time, Will enjoys rock climbing, sailing, flying, biking, rollerblading, and spending time with his son, Val. Now for my conversation with Will Giese. Hey, Will, welcome to the show. Hey there, how are you? Good, how are you doing? Doing great. Good, good. Give everyone a quick rundown. Who are you, what's the company, and where are you located? So my name's Will Giese, and I am in Philadelphia, pretty close to the downtown area. We're within the city limits and do about half of our projects in the city, half of what's called the main line. And it's a, as of 10 years ago, we started focusing really on design build and the whole internalized design services there. That's the team. We're about 20, 20 staff right now. Right on. Very cool. Well, I'm sure it didn't start at, at 20. How did the journey begin? Yep. Yeah, it's a long, long <laughs> saga. I would say my dad had a, a triplex, a little Victorian triplex just outside of Boston. And my brother and sister and I sort of mostly me worked on the, that, that house through, through the years as kids and into high school and that, that helped pay for college. So that was nice. I learned a lot about, about what not to do probably lots of, I mean, it was a rental property so that you could take some risks, but, and just get yelled at by your dad. But that was, that was probably my first, first real estate, you know, concept of, of what you could do with a, with a property. That's cool. Yeah. And did, so did that like spark an interest or was it just kind of like, this is to do with my family, but then, and then you like came yeah. back around later or was it like, yep, this is it. <laughs> so I was more of an artist. I liked working. I liked, you know, f- making things pretty. So, you know, there's a lot of directions that I could have gone in. I focused on sculpture in college and then decided, you know, I sort of either wanted to do business when I was in high school. I, you know, did, you know, worked, you know, for neighbors and friends doing odd jobs, you know, like changing their oil, mowing their lawns, painting their houses, you know, and that sort of turned into a little, you know, handyman service at times. It was fun to play around with that. I actually really enjoyed the uh, the business aspect of it. And then in 2003, after doing a couple other things, I, I started this company, 
just prior to that, I was five years in a, in a partnership with a more experienced builder. And we did got into high-rise work and some structural work. He was an engineer. So it was a really great experience for me. And lots of coming from Boston, we were, it was all wood homes, wood structures. And then Philadelphia was a lot of masonry, steel, you know, heavier structures. And, and I did learn a lot with him. And then I decided around that time, the, the time that I finished my five years with him, we had a 50-50 partnership and I sort of, I, I made him buy me out in a way. And so, because I wanted to start my own thing. And at that point, I, I went to Temple University for business school because I thought that would be sort of an interesting way to, to build my confidence Obviously, the, the business school is really for, for more corporate corporate use, but I did learn a lot and really maybe just built up some confidence to, to run a bigger business. That's cool. Yeah. A couple of things there. One on the whole like business school thing, I always find that interesting too. I, I, what you said makes a ton of sense is like, well, I learned some things, but really it like gave me the internal confidence to be like, yeah, I can do this because yeah, entrepreneurship is very different when you get out in the real world than just, you know, going through the textbooks and learning about yeah, all that exactly. stuff. So yeah, middle management. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a lot of middle management stuff that you're not really dealing with the client and you're not really dealing with the risks because it's such a you're, you know, business school is focused on on being a small cog, right? Yeah. Yeah. And then I guess the the other piece is, you know, so you had them kind of buy you out or whatever, then you started your own thing. What did that first like one or two years look like? You know, what kinds of projects? What were like the big hurdles that you were facing? In the beginning, I had we had been a pure contracting business, working for working a lot of times with architects, but exterior external fir- firms, meaning we didn't have the the architectural staff or designers in house. But we worked closely with them to to try to develop those projects, and I really wanted to to own that own the whole process. I sort of wanted to buy the building. I wanted to, you know, bring in the designer or, or, or do the design work myself. I wanted to make, have all the direction, all the responsibility and risk. And that was fun for maybe five years and 2008 happened. And I think I was honestly, I like working with homeowners and I'm, I'm good at, you know, that sort of client whisperer concept where you're you have to really get into the the needs and and get you know get deeper into a relationship to find out what it is that the client wants because they don't know what they want. So I think that was you know after after two thousand eight doing real estate development the two thousand eight was more of a focus shifting back towards the client and and that was fun. I mean I like I like everything about real estate you know I like the the structure, you know, working out engineering details, seeing what's possible for what price point, what's what makes sense to to present as far as layouts, what's the best flow of the space, bringing in natural light, all that, you know, that's fun. It's fun for me. Hopefully, it is for everybody who you talk to. But that that concept of of working towards the needs of the client felt more interesting after a while than than just working on the building but it was a great experience to to have investors for real estate development and and all sorts of sort of turnout meaning investment results so that we would end up deciding what we wanted to do with the property in a couple of years do we we hold it do we put it back on the market how do we fix it up how do we you know who who do we give it to a realtor to sell you know those types of things that became sort of boring a little bit. Obviously, sure. I didn't have a choice in 2008 because I needed to use OPM, other people's money, meaning like find homeowners who would pay for all this stuff instead of find the money from my own sources. So, yeah, it feels like that you went from like 
there's still a lot of variables and like the investment side is like, okay, well, we need to make sure that it's more about the numbers and like the output of like, what's going to make this appealing and will the market take that in versus mm-hmm. like shifting to the homeowner. It's like still about the numbers, but also the emotions and the desires of just like, yeah, I just want this. And I don't really care if it costs a little more, you know, cause, right. and so, yeah, that I could see how it would get a little more exciting, you know, adding in those other variables and then seeing the output, like the excitement is probably a little more, at least personal, you know, with the client side, then the investor side was like, cool, it was a good investment, but it's like, <laughs> that's about it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And and I think it's hard to, when you're thinking about cool things to do with real estate, which it's unlimited, right? I mean, that's, for me, that's, that's the career is, is what can you do with real estate? And so, and in how, how much of a specialist, where do you want to specialize? How do you, how do you present, you know, to the people that you're working for and with, as far as where the passion is for me. And then also kind of teasing out that, that difference between commercial development or, or like investors developing a property and the emotions of a client who owns a property, who's going to have their family living there for the next 20 years or whatever, that some decisions just get made that don't make clear sense in terms of flipping the property or, or turn, you know, turning it over to a new buyer, because we don't know what that new buyer really wants. Even if they're a homeowner versus a versus a, a property investor who's going to hold it, you know, hold this triplex or whatever, I think it's interesting to to think about like sort of unique needs of that client of the homeowner who who's going to spend money on something that maybe very few other people would because they they just love you know they love that oak they love that cherry they love that that weird countertop you know, material, whatever it is, or, or they just feel like they, you know, they have this dream, some aspect of the house is, is touching them and you want to explore it with them. Yeah. It's sort of a fun, fun way to do it. I mean, it's you know definitely a lot of therapy. But... <laughs> yeah, for sure. Well, I'm curious, like making that shift in, in 08, it was a little bit out of necessity, but it sounds like, but I know the first use of the first five years, you did want to like control everything and kind of like thinking about the design and all the pieces. Did you start that way when you went down like harder down the residential path, like 08 moving forward, or was that still the same mindset, like kind of that design build approach? Yeah, I think giving up the control of of what happened to the property, but still finding clients who would allow me and my team to to present options who would get excited about what our ideas were. So we, you know, we're always presenting an A and a B option, maybe, maybe a C if they if they want to spend some extra money, but but saying, hey, within your budget, what, what you want to spend, let's let's talk about how much flexibility there is here. And then sometimes that's that's creative enough for me to to be able to, I mean, I don't I don't do that end of it anymore, but but I do you know meet with a lot of clients early on and, and talk about lots of sort of blue sky options, limited, of course, by their budget, but but say, hey, you know, there's a lot of interesting things we could do here. What are your goals and what's what we what would be interesting to play around with? Yeah, that's cool. Is that something that you guys still do today? Is giving kind of like ABC versus just like, hey, we took all your input mm-hmm. and then here's kind of the best design based on what you told us? Yeah, I think uh, the architects on staff will we have two architects and they will typically say, here's here's what I think is the best option. But I want you to know that we've considered some other options. So here's some other layouts. Here's some other, maybe we we blew the whole, the entire back wall of the house out to bring in more light. You know, this might cost more. So let's talk about the realities of, of this before you fall in love with it, because we don't want to be 
we don't want to be that castle in the sky designer who just destroys budgets, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, that that's cool. That's a, I like that approach because it shows people that you thought through it and you, you're very knowledgeable about everything and like, hey, there's more than one way to skin a cat. And I'm sure some people are like, actually, I do love that and we can expand the budget and then they, they do it and they'll be happier with the outcome. They didn't know yeah, it was possible. I feel like that's an area that I just don't have that, you know, that vision for like, when I walk into a house, like, I don't know, you could blow out these walls. Like I, yeah, I get lost. Right. And I think a lot of clients are like that too, sure. you know? And so that's a huge value piece to bring. I'm going to pivot us a little bit. You, it sounds like you started in 03, you're coming up on 20 years building this business and working on it. What do you think are like one or two of the things about entrepreneurship and growing a business that just like surprised you or you didn't expect? You know, early on, I didn't realize how sort of isolating and lonely and exhausting that could be to try to learn everything that you need to learn, sort of that, that anxiety that, that we all live with and hopefully sleep with. And sort of that, those stages of, of development, like everybody knows, you know, and, you know, we're no exception when we're trying to build a bigger business, something that can sustain without us, because that is, you know, who wants a business that, I mean, some people do. But I don't want a business that, that can't survive without me because I think that's too much stress for me. And so I think the concept of bringing people in and get them, getting them empowered to make decisions was uh, something I started out with very early on. And, and of course, you have to have people who, who merit that investment or that, that trust, somebody who's, who's smart enough and you know, driven enough, who's going to stick around. But I think when you find somebody like that, you obviously, you find out what they want and, you know, sort of like a client and you try to figure out if there's something that you can provide. Usually early on, it's hard to overpay them, but maybe there's, there's something really valuable that you can give them. And a lot of that is, is related for me was related to, to helping determine direction for the company. Like if it's theirs, why would they leave? Maybe it's not legally there, but, but they absolutely have a lot of, and you know, there's there's downsides to having it be legally yours as well, because you know, you the the risk of of you know when things aren't going well, when it's 2008, you know, like you got negative, you know, got a negative net income. So making sure that they get lots of lots of appreciation, making sure that you're sort of building that leadership team, so that the that the the point where we're at right now is we've sort of romanced a few key people. And had, of course, lots of hiccups along the way, turnover. But we do have, you know, the four of us who are on the, the head of departments. So we got sales, we got SGNA, so that's a department, and then sales general administrative. So that's all the back office. And then we have sales and, and design. So that's me. And then we have production and design and development. So four heads of the department, the that's the leadership team. And and we all have definitely an equal say. And I wouldn't say, I mean. It's very rare that I would ever want to or need to break, you know, break a decision, like to break a tie or ride or something. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's that's kind of an anathema to me because mm-hmm. the the point of this growth is to lower my stress and to specialize, and so that everybody brings in, you know, that what what they can decide as a team is dependent on where their specialties are, and and also being able to come to the table and be thoughtful and and committed to to the company. 
Hey guys, I know that if you listen to Builder Funnel Radio, you are hyper aware of the fact that the way people shop and buy, it's changed dramatically over the years. And for the last 10 years, really since I started doing all this, helping my uncle's remodeling division scale up from about 2 million to 10 million, We've been helping remodelers and builders and contractors all over the country really refine their marketing systems. And I recently decided to kind of bottle all of that up into my first book. And that book is called The Remodeler Marketing Blueprint. And you can pick up a copy by going to the website, remodelermarketingblueprint.com. You can also search for it on Amazon or wherever books are sold online. But I highly recommend you go over to the website because we've got some cool book bonuses that go along with that if you pick up a few extra copies for your friends and colleagues or your teammates. So it would mean a lot to me if you've been listening to this podcast for a while or even just a few episodes, if you've ever gotten any value out of it, head over to remodelermarketingblueprint.com and snag your copy today. All right, let's get back to the show. That's awesome. That's cool to hear about. I know you've mentioned stress a few times. I mean, I think that's not talked about enough with small businesses and entrepreneurship. Like the people that start those things carry a lot of weight, you know, from a lot of different areas, you know, it kind of comes at you. And so when you put one foot in front of the other and you can get to that point where you have some other people that can share that load, but then, you know, you, whenever you're banded together, it just doesn't feel, it's like, we can get through this together. But when it's, you talked about the loneliness, when it's just you, oh man, I don't know. (laughs) And I think, you know, like, I think the average business owner is an entrepreneur, is a, a visionary type person. And that's, I've worked at, you know, I've had a pretty steady work life. I'm, I've just focused on real estate really for my entire career. But I would say that that the nature of most business owners is that they are, are sort of scattered in their thinking. Maybe they're going to try one thing and then, you know, three weeks later, they're like, you know what, let's try something else, you know, and that's no good for a company. That's no good for us, for a team. So, you know, calming the waters a little bit is what happens. I think when you, when you have staff that you trust and and people have equal say, and it's not so top down. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a good observation. Yeah. You have to move, you move a little bit slower, which is good. You still want to be able to adjust and be nimble and adapt. But I think at the sizes we're talking about, like, those things are all super possible, but mm-hmm. it does probably slow it just enough so that the leader isn't just taking you down all these bunny trails and everything. Yeah. Well, I want to talk about some some projects, either some like wacky ones, just like weird yeah. off the wall or just like super, super interesting. Anything coming to mind over the years? We've had opportunities to do a few fun, fun projects. I mean, to me, they're all interesting for sure because whether the engineering solution is, you know, over here, over there, you know, trying to to reconfigure the floor plan in these old homes is a real fun challenge. It's just way more fun than than doing new new construction design. And it's like it's a nice barrier to entry for us, meaning, you know, it's it's very unlikely that an average builder is going to be able to understand the structure and the mechanicals or the, you know, the the sort of infrastructure of the of these old homes and make it all work well. That's very hard to do. So that seems fun. And I, I, I learned a lot by taking apart houses, seeing all the history of that. So that concept of presenting options has created a lot of, a lot of these, these fun projects. We had a client who came back to us after we did a, a, a job for them, a smaller project. She wanted to build a new construction house, which 
we're not a cookie cutter cutter company. We're sort of like thinking outside the box. So that was an unusual project for us because we don't get new construction. But she she's an artist and she she had a lot of architectural salvage. So she wanted these huge wooden, you know, found doors in in her house. She wanted, you know, she had lots of lots of fun finishes like concrete, like acid etched concrete floors on the first floor, lots of bending the code for railings and things like that. So nice. It all worked out. But it, you know, the ceilings were really tall. It was it was just a fun, it was a fun project to to work through. And she had a really nice lot that she was working with a double lot. Another project that we had was a like four years ago was a auto parts. It, would, it had been an old auto supply place. It was like a, a number of buildings where they made different parts for automobiles in the 40s and 50s. And there was a there's just a lot of really interesting kind of factory or commercial finishes in there. So we, we were able to use a couple of those finishes and make them work for the for the whole residential use. And the whole first floor was like a, a 15 or 16 foot garage, like oh, open cool. open space. So this guy had his, his motorcycle collection in there, our client. And then we put a fourth story, we added a third, a third and a fourth story to the top of the building. And wow. that, and then the, the fourth story had an incredible view of the skyline. So that was that was really fun. That's cool. As you're describing both of those, I was thinking, so it seems like there's maybe I'll just bucket clients in, in two buckets for this question. Like one is, I'll say unlimited budget. It's never unlimited, but they they have budget and they're willing to flex it if they see something they want. So that's like category A, which maybe these two kind of fell in that where they're like, I'm trying to achieve this outcome and I want it to be unique and special and I'll, I'll pay for that. And then there's the client that like, maybe, let's just say has a, a healthy budget, but it is there's a limit, there's a constraint there. Which do you enjoy working on more? Because I would imagine there's like creativity in both. Like the creativity and the restricted one is like, how can we make this amazing within these parameters? And then the other one's like, this just needs to be super unique and we can kind of run with our ideas. Are you drawn to one of those more or are they just super different? Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, it would be ideal. You know, we do try to serve both markets, you know, people who have the ability to be much more creative and thinking outside the box and, and and maybe solve all of the problems with the house, if you will, because you know, these are old homes and there's lots of you know code violations and and poor finishes, things that you would never design if you if you were redesigning the entire house. That's an, an sort of a fun, it's a fun exploration, exploration to do with these clients is to say, where are you at? You know, do you think, you know, they always end up spending more than they thought they would because they kind of fall in love with the process or, or at least most clients do. They end up feeling like, you know what, it's worth getting, you know, a little more of what we want. But that sort of pivot point where they, you know, end up spending, you know, they think that they want to spend a few hundred thousand dollars and end up spending a million dollars. That's like, that's the extreme version. And I think it's, you know, the, the profile of the client is somebody usually who has their own business or has, you know, obviously clearly a lot of, of, of future income. So they feel very confident over investing in the house. So, and the expectations are, are much higher in terms of finishes because, you know, it's, it's assumed that, that everything is going to be perfect when you're spending a million dollars on your house. So you can see where the answer to your question is going. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> So, Pros and cons um, to both, right? <laughs> yeah, it's not, it's not, you know, I, I mean, can you do everything perfectly? Obviously not. 
but it's very fun to be challenged with that kind of high delivery of service and high delivery of finishes. So I don't know if I can say I enjoy one over the other. And I think it might be dangerous to say I only want to do one or the other. Totally. Yeah. So that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. As you're describing that, I'm yeah, <laughs> there's definitely pros and cons to both. Well, Will, I've got a few questions to, to wrap us up here. One is I'm just curious, like what's the future look like for you guys? Where are you guys trying to go in the next, you know, three or five years? I told my staff that, that I wanted to go to 20 hours a week when I turned 55. So I'll be 53 in November. So clock's ticking. And the real goal there was to make sure that I have no interest really in leaving the company, but I don't want to be the irreplaceable person. And I think that's, that's a great place to contemplate or to work towards. And I think I'm getting close close to that. The company runs without me. It's really just the sales and maybe client whispering. You know, Maybe let's say, I don't know, 10%, 20% of your clients really need that kind of attention where you know, things just things are a little tense or things you know got handled poorly or or something like that where the owner of the company has to step in and solve some problems those and the higher level sales responsibilities i don't you know i'd be happy to sell one third of the volume but i want to sell three quarters of the volume right that makes sense yeah yeah so getting getting involved in a few key areas but not yeah if you went away for a month or two like everything would be fine and yeah that sort of thing Cool. All right. Well, we'll we'll have to do an update maybe at the halfway point between now and 55 and see if you're like chipping down to like 30 hours or something. Um, No, that's awesome. Yeah. All right. So I got a couple, couple last questions to wrap us up. One is just around like the industry kind of at a high level last two years have been pretty wild and very different from the past, you know, eight before it. What do you think in your mind is like the top one or two challenges that we really need to be actively solving and not just identifying as like, this is a problem, but like really some urgency around solving those problems? That's a great question. I mean, clearly, clearly pricing is the top of the list. Logistics might be a close second. If we can't dependably present pricing and present unique selections, meaning meaning that the, the supplier says that it's available in two weeks and then you go to order it, and what happens? It's, yeah, some consistency no, there would be nice. Yeah. Yeah, right. <laughs> there's too many, too many situations that that end up with delays and inefficiency, and you know, and that's costing us because can you know can we really charge extra for those for that inefficiency? And really, it's it's very hard to do that. So those two things: the financial stability in the in the market overall, and and, and clearly, it sounds great that the that the real estate appreciation is you know is wild, and you can't you know can't nobody can buy any a house, and they're getting outbid and all that. But that's really no good for stability. Mm-mm. So all of this stuff has to just has to calm down and, you know, supply and demand and all that. And that that'll surely happen. I mean, it's going in the right direction, but I don't, it, it is true that nobody did, you know, nobody was able to foresee this. So I'm sure, I'm sure there'll be other fallouts from this as time goes on, but, but hopefully the supply chain is, is getting much more reliable over the next year. And so as far as what I can do to, to help that, it's really making sure that my team knows what's a more reliable option and, and how to handle this, this bracket, this, this budget, especially early on when the pricing uncertainty is there. Yeah. 
Yeah. No, that makes a ton of sense. Yeah. And you said something like it'll work itself out. And you, I feel like you almost described how it happens too, because you said it's up to our team to find the reliable sources. Well, the people that are making themselves reliable are going to be the winners. They're going to grow. And then they're going to, you know, and then that's the majority of things will be reliable then because people are going to those companies. So yeah. uh, capitalism has a way of sorting itself out. You know, the market is very efficient with no interventions. So yeah, no, that's, sure. that's great. We'll wrap us up with maybe some final words of wisdom or piece of advice you want to pass along to other remodeling yeah. business owners, people in design build. That consideration for, for giving away responsibility. For, for trusting, obviously you can't trust everybody on your team perhaps, but, but you do need to find people that, that are deserve, you know, that deserve the, the investment of your mentoring. And then you know the concept of, of making sure that, uh, that your staff is able to handle the, the soft side, the emotional client, the client whispering. And then I've gotten to the point where I'm starting to mentor my leadership team who are the head of their department so they can disseminate that, that sort of client whisperer skill set because it's very hard, especially in these you know emotional days that we're in, for for staff to really control or have a good feel for where the clients are, where they're going to blow up or get stressed or get get upset about about the project or about the delivery of service or whatever. So. So really staying close to the client. Now I can't do that, nor do I want to. So so sort of training, training people to to take care of the their department, their staff, and make sure that they're asking really good questions, especially when they have a lot of client-facing responsibility. Yeah. Yeah. That's great advice. Yeah. And that that piece is probably one of the harder ones to train. And so you have to do it over a kind of a longer period of time and let people go through the scenarios as they come up. And yeah, right. no, that's, I'm not that's, sure there's, there's innate ability. And so I'm just not sure yet because I don't have enough experience in it. If this is something you can sort of robotically require and then they can say, okay, I asked them the question and then they started to open up to me. Is that realistic? Or do you have to be like, you have to have like a, a therapist's, you know, do you have to have great bedside manner to begin with? I'm not sure if you can, if you can force it. Yeah. I don't, I don't have the answer either. I, I tend to be of the mindset of like growth mindset. You can learn, you can learn most anything or at least improve, you know, and, but obviously when you're building a team around a skill set like you, you don't want to spend 10 years, like slowly inching towards you know building that skill. So it's a fine line, but I think, yeah, the great piece of advice to end on, which is just like putting those key people in place and then, you know, loosening the ropes and then, giving ownership over those different pieces will get you on track for your 20 hours. So Will, thanks so much for joining me today. This was awesome. Yeah. Great to see you. Thanks for tuning in to Remodeler Stories. Don't forget to subscribe to the show and leave us a review. Every month we pick a winner and send out a free copy of my book, The Remodeler Marketing Blueprint. Just leave a review over on iTunes to enter to win. See you next time.